Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 18 of the Eyes Have It podcast with your host, Brent Hersey and me, Chris Blessing. Brent, how are you doing this 13th of September when we record this episode? Uh, doing pretty well. The uh, season, both major and minor leagues are winding down. It's getting a little cooler in the air. All the coming. So I'm uh, all that said i'm doing i'm doing pretty well how are you i i am doing well i just came from a county commissioner's meeting in my county here in georgia just because uh some fun work stuff so uh i got it for this yeah yeah, so a question like is you basically came out of parks and rec is that what you're saying pretty much uh although the parks and rec guy held the door for me when i came in and uh yeah he he didn't get to speak during it so but but the parks and rec guy and and he does not look like Rob uh, Rob Swanson. So Ron Swanson. I said Rob okay. Swanson. Well, we're winding down our coverage here at Baseball HQ. This week will be our second to last uh, episode before the end of the regular season for Major League Baseball. Uh, I also have two more articles, one coming out this Thursday, one coming out next Wednesday. Uh, we're essentially transitioning to – Book mode, conference mode, list season, all those good things. So, Brent, uh, let's let's start out with book mode. Uh, I think that people are interested. You are uh, the co-GM of Baseball HQ, and I know that you, Ray, uh, Brandon, uh, Ryan, and uh, Ron, you know, work heavily behind the scenes on uh, the baseball forecaster. Would would you like to talk about that? Sure. That's kind of the five of us sort of put it together. Um, Ron, Ray, and I have been uh, doing more or less weekly conference calls the past, I don't know, month or so, uh, getting the behind the scenes sort of prep work done. I will have a, uh, I put together the cover uh, every year and I'm in the midst of of doing that uh, here soon because we get that up to, for people to take pre-orders, to sell pre-orders. Uh, here mid-month or so we go th- around this time of year we go through uh all the format of the player boxes that go into the forecaster both the batter's box and the pitcher's box kind of decide what if any tweaks we uh want to make this year and then we send those suggestions back to kind of our tech team to kind of figure out a way to get the numbers into the boxes that we want. And then, uh, but we can't actually get the, uh, the whole process started with getting those out to individual writers, which, which uh, help us uh, put together those player commentaries. Of course, until the last games of the regular season are played. And uh, usually um, it's around a week 
or so after the last game is finished of the regular season till we have uh, these boxes, uh, these pages in front of our um, writers. And then, and then it's kind of a full-on sprint for six weeks or so, back and forth, editing those, mm-hmm. um, working with the writers. It's a uh, fun and exhilarating time, but it's also uh, a lot of work <laughs> in a short, short well, period of time. And uh, usually, and this year also, we have a, a conference thrown into the middle of that too. So Before we get to that, Bryn, uh just for some of our listeners who have come for the prospect content and have the, don't necessarily uh, have really any idea what the baseball forecaster is, uh, sure. uh, can you explain some of that? I know that it's award-winning. I think it won uh, uh, best uh, publication the last couple of years, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Uh, what, what, is the forecaster? Yeah, so it's a it's basically a preview of the uh, of the next season. It's it's major. It's uh, primarily major league players previewing for, in this case for the 2022 season, where we uh, take a look at at um, the relevant kind of individual players. The first run of our projections are part of their player box, and that's always a fun thing. Um, that's one of the things that as we go through those, each player gets a box and runs uh, or it displays the la- their last five years of statistics and, and uh, leading indicators and, and all that kind of thing from which we draw that projection as best we can in mid-October, early November. So it's, uh, yeah, we cover 800 or so players. There's also a whole bank of what we call the encyclopedia which is uh contains uh snippets of all of our research work in the past and some of it goes back many years um they sort of form the foundation of of how we go about analyzing these players um so that's useful there's a uh, ton of charts kind of in the back for different formats lists of uh, players we think that are you know bound to bound to sort of rebound or something where their surface stats in, in the seasons past don't quite match their skill level. Just tons of uh, tons of good stuff, again, to, you know, all kind of geared towards giving you an edge in draft season. Well, you also mentioned uh, our conference. Our conference is coming up, uh, starting with a reception on October 14th. So when this is published, it will be exactly a month before the start of the first pitch Arizona, which is Going to be at in Mesa this year, next to Sloan Park at at the Sheridan there, Sheridan Wrigleyville West Mesa. What's going on there? Uh, I know that you've <laughs> done a lot of pre planning. I know that you've talked to me about doing some things. Uh, yep. Where are we at right now? We are uh, in the midst of trying to catch up. <laughs> uh, it's been a crazy, of course, uh, several months with that. Uh, we of course had to cancel last year because of COVID. In the spring, early summer, when we kind of had to nail down our, our dates and uh, that kind of thing with the hotel, things with code were looking better. And we were like, yes, we will be able to get back together. And then, of course, in the ensuing uh, several months, uh, the case counts continued to get worse. And so we had to, uh, we had to navigate all that. We're excited, though. Uh, we do have a good group of folks coming. We have some uh, safety protocols in place um, because we want everyone to have a, 
a good time and a safe time, of course, out there. And uh, it sure looks like we're going to actually have an AFL season, which is all part of part of the weekend. Um, we all go to games together out there. And uh, one of the challenges so far has been that even now, about uh, a month away or so. Exactly a month. Exactly we a month until the AFL opens. It opens we, on 10-13. If we only knew who was playing where, <laughs> that would be a good thing. Because, do you, do you uh, have game times by chance? We don't have anything schedule-wise oh, wow. yet. We've, we've, been, uh, we've kind of been bugging the office, and they, uh, I, we believe it's coming uh, any day, but it's, it's the kind of thing that we're um, waiting on a little bit because uh, it does affect, depending where the games are, uh, in which stadiums, uh, it affects uh, the timing of certain things, but um, we have a shell in general of a of a program and and plan to uh, get that out and up on the uh, on the website here. Hopefully, uh, yes, in the in the next day or so for sure. I'm excited for uh, first off to see everybody. I mean, that's the biggest yeah. thing. I've gotten to run into occasional people here and there, really by luck. Uh, there's been some times where I could have probably seen a few people that I was close uh, to their houses or close to their areas and just didn't because, well, wild times uh, call for wild yep. things. So uh, I am looking forward to the prospect Q&A. That's something I've participated in with several uh, mm -hmm. prospect writers over the years. So I, I look forward to that this year. Uh, we're going to have a good conference regardless of uh, – of any of the health protocols put into place, we we will make it work. Uh, it will yeah. be great. Uh, well, anyway, I'm going to talk about, we had another book as well, uh, which is the Minor League Baseball Analyst, which is, you've all heard us talk about that on here. It is a comprehensive fantasy look at prospects on the minor league level. So uh, this corresponds with our list season and our coverage at Baseball HQ. Uh, which usually starts around Thanksgiving, where we start releasing our top 15 organizational reports. Uh, some of those lists, they're very hardy uh, lists. The Indians will have a very hardy list. The Rays will have a very hardy list. Uh, the Phillies, Phillies, I don't know about. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was doing some research this week on the White Sox. Oh, my God. I've got to find 15, I've got to find like 18 prospects to talk about because we always, yeah. uh, in case of trades, try to talk about 18 guys. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the fans are going to point out, oh, you know, they got a lot of young guys in the major leagues. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough one, uh, covering that organization, but we cover tons of players. It's usually about 30, on average, about 30 players per organization. Uh, huh. sometimes like the White Sox might only be 20 and the Rays might be 40. Uh, we're trying to grab every fantasy-relevant prospect that is yep. out there. Uh, and uh, we do a pretty good job of it. We we grab a lot of guys. that If we miss them, they're usually going to be in rookie ball, complex ball, uh, where there's not as much coverage. Or, uh, you know, they might be an older prospect or a younger prospect in the Dominican Republic. Uh, so, yep. like, there's, there's those instances. But always a fun challenge every year. That's that comes out after the first of the year. Uh, so again, our organizational reports are come out around Thanksgiving and Brent is the editor of this uh, fine project. I, I, 
I look at it as I kind of write about 30 to 40% of the player boxes. I write a bunch of the articles and stuff, but it's mm -hmm. really a good team approach. We've always had a team approach since I've come on. When I first started, it was Jeremy and Rob that were the lead guys on it. Now it's more of a collaborative uh, uh, group. Uh, and if you guys remember, Jeremy and Rob was, were on earlier episodes. Uh, uh, Jeremy Deloney, Rob Gordon. It won't be our first and only uh, Rob Gordon mentioned in this uh, podcast. But uh, anyway, do you have anything else to add? Did I sell the product well? <laughs> yep, it's a uh, it's a unique uh, look. I mean, I'm always proud to you know to kind of uh, say that yeah, it's nine hundred. You know, usually at least nine hundred prospects that we cover on different levels. Uh, we have you know mini scouting reports skills sort of ratings uh the articles that you talked about again a really good uh a really great guide um for anyone that's involved in any sort of keeper or dynasty league um and you know it's great to use during draft season it's great to use during the season when this player gets called up that you're you know may have heard of but you're not exactly sure you can always look reference the uh analyst to what we had said about him and get a get a sense of what uh he uh what his skill set is like spoiler alert wander franco will not be our number one prospect this year will we not. will have a new number one prospect for the first time in uh, a few seasons uh, yeah. he's been and our number one prospect for 2020 and 2021 yeah yep and that's something else we do uh you know all sorts of lists uh Top players by position, uh, top players by the different teams, uh, and then it sort of culminates with our HQ 100, which is our top uh, 100 prospect list. Well, changing gears here, this is something that Brent came up with this this news and notes segment <laughs> this week. Brent was at uh, Jersey Shore this week, uh, and he was scouting some. It was Greensboro Grasshoppers, right? The high A yes. affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates, yeah. uh, a team that I've already seen, a, a phenomenal uh, prospect-filled team. What came out of this was talking about the challenges of end-season, end-of-season evaluation. Uh, you know, this season it, we're we're seeing unprecedented number of pitching, a uh, lot of prospects that are struggling. I'm not going to take all of this because Brent has uh, some good notes here and, you know, basically sold me on this last week when he brought it up. Uh, so, Brent, what did you learn from uh, scouting a pitcher that I've already scouted this year, Quinn Priester? Yeah, I was. Uh, it was interesting when I was down <clears throat> before the game, uh, one of the games last week, talking with uh, the main radio voice of the Jersey Shore, the local um, the local uh, public relations guy there. And he was just mentioning how in the weekend prior, uh, well, I guess it was the Sunday and the Tuesday game. Anyway, two games in a row, the, the blue cause a high a team uh, lost back-to-back -back games by a score of 20 to one and 21 to four. And he, wow. he was, and he was just saying that um, because of all these different, uh, circumstances, uh, COVID, um, you know, that canceled the whole 2020 season, you know, the, the major leagues taken over and sort of downsizing the minor leagues, um, where they have to, you know, they're limited to 
30 players, you know, across these uh, four, five levels or whatever, that the number of players has gone down. That, 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 that this time of year, at least for them, they're just really, really feeling it as far as not enough quality pitchers to, to stay in the games. Um, you know, and since then they've, it's not like they're losing 20 to whatever, uh, every game since then, but it was just two in a row that he said that they really, it really came, you know, it became apparent to them the, the lack of pitching that they had, um, just that some of the guys pitching for them probably weren't, you know, were kind of moved up too early to fill these spots and how that was kind of getting worse. Uh, here in the last weeks of the season. So and Brent, it, it, and Brent uh, just to interrupt real quick, uh, just for a little more context, COVID-19, as some of our listeners know, really affected uh, the Phillies' complex in Clearwater. Uh, when I had my looks uh, in Florida, the Clearwater team was made up of half of the, I almost said Gulf Coast League team, but uh, the complex team, and yeah. half of the single A team, or the yeah, the single A team, the low A team, because yeah. of the entire complex was having positives on each team. So yeah. they completely shut down the complex for two weeks. So there was no complex games, yeah. and they got these players away uh, from the park. Uh, they can't. They postponed some games, and so the Phillies are already working at a deficit because of that. Throw yeah, in injuries, point. throw in rosters. Yeah, the Phillies are a special situation. However, the Phillies are not the only ones that are dealing with this pitching stuff. I yeah. uh, today was uh, I did this thing on Twitter. I talked about how many uh, Chattanooga lookouts from 2015 to 2018 were uh, had filtered through the Rays organization at some point. The 40 man roster in the last two three seasons. It's an incredible amount. It's like eight guys. You don't see that. They all You don't see that. I'm sorry. You just don't see that. Uh, but like the twins were good. He collected a bunch of really uh, diverse guys, guys with different release points, different angles, different heights. They, they didn't have a type like some teams have a type. And the Rays don't have a type. They're looking for all types of angles, all of that good stuff. Well, anyway, Going through to see if anybody else passed through the Rays organization, I clicked on a lot of names I had forgotten them. And I've noticed a lot of those guys, uh, since I last saw them, have been in independent ball. And now they're back in affiliated ball because there's no pitching. Yeah. They're needed. And so Brent's point that, like, these games are out of hand. I was supposed to scout uh, some D-backs prospects for this uh article but uh, I had one game that ended up 10 to 2 a uh, Bryce Jarvis Bryce Jarvis is a known prospect mm-hmm. the game he started ended up 20 to 12 uh Dre Jameson who's another uh relevant starter out there uh in the D-backs organization the game he started ended up 8 to 7 and then Tommy Henry if you guys remember from Michigan's run to the national championship that came up short a few years ago uh, he was in a 6-5 game. Like, these were all high-scoring games. And it, and yeah. I decided not to judge these pitchers on that because, I mean, it, it just looked sloppy. It looked like a bunch of guys that were tired. The <laughs> the best-looking guy was maybe uh, 
Ryan Nelson, who's a um, D-backs prospect. He, uh, some places have him a little bit ahead of, uh, of Jamison and um, Jarvis. Uh, you know, I, I, I actually don't have him ahead of those guys. I, I like Jamison a lot better than, than him, but I, I do have Nelson ahead of Jarvis. Uh, but anyway, to get to this point, this is everywhere. Whether you're yeah. Diamondbacks, Phillies, Nationals, Cubs, yeah. Rangers, everybody's having these issues. Yeah. yeah, and the thing the thing that I, you know, relating it kind of to what we do is just to, you know, a reminder for myself as well as any of us doing uh, evaluations here in the, you know, in this last month or so of the season is just to be aware of that. Like have that, have that filter up when we're uh, making these evaluations that, that this, you know, the, the pitching that a lot of these hitters are facing is not up to normal quality. Um, you know, these guys are, are gassed. I mean, it sort of reminds me a little bit of the kind of the spring training example where, you know, we can get all excited about spring training performances and, uh, you know, that can be padded because uh, the hitters are facing, you know, minor league guys that they're, not going to be facing in the in the majors, and I think the same type of thing is happening here that we just need to, need to be aware of. Uh, you know, being being a little bit skeptical or or not totally taken at face value when uh, you're doing your when we're doing our research uh, in another month or so and say, hey, this guy, wow, his last month he you know made uh, you know hit this many more home runs or whatever. I mean, you know, it just it just needs to be. You know, we just need to be mindful of that that could be happening uh, against lesser competition. And uh, just something that came up as I was chatting, uh, as I was chatting with the uh, Blue Calls PR guy telling me about these back-to-back 20-run uh, games. Another thing that I want to bring up, I, I was looking at, uh, for articles last, last week, a bunch of Boston Red Sox prospects. And uh, I end up... Uh, Scouting two of them. Uh, the big name there was Nick York. But I also looked at uh, another prominent prospect, Blaze Jordan, who is a corner infield prospect. And it just seemed like he was, he had a little more pep than everybody else right now. He started this season. He was drafted last year in the uh, third round, I believe, by the Red Sox. And he started uh, the season at the complex. He didn't make a, make his debut until the complex league uh, was activated for the year. And he just seemed like he, he was, he just seemed fresher than other guys. Uh, So like evaluating him was a little hard. Uh, You know, of course I luckily had York looks earlier in the year. Uh, uh, The Jimenez kid was the other guy that I, I scouted for them. Uh, I, I had looks at him as well, but I didn't give my blaze Jordan take because eh, it just was a little, it was harder. It's like when we looked at Jenkins, Jason Dominguez. Uh, while they're working out at the complex, they're not having competitive games. And mm-hmm. uh, the adrenaline's not pumping the same, uh, those things. And, and even doing the, the, the complex games, I've, I've lot, uh, our buddy Joe Drake from Prospects Live has been, been slinging around those uh, Florida, those uh, on the southwest coast in Fort Myers, those uh, facilities. And I've noticed that you know, those guys have a lot more pep in their step than what I saw in low A and what I've seen in high A recently. So we're we're looking at guys that, you know, 
that may get called up from those places or have been called up from those places below A and high A who are succeeding because they're fresh and the other guys are not. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, it's definitely a grind. And, you know, I think especially for pitchers having that full year off of not kind of any, um, you know, any competition uh, come coming now to this point in the, in the season, I think some of those guys can be predictably gun predictably, uh, gassed, you know, so to speak. So I think it's just, uh, just something to keep in mind as we, we kind of turn the corner here in a couple of weeks and head full on uh, into evaluation season. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we've made it to the next segment, Brent. Uh, yes, this is our, our audience favorite. This is most of our comments come from uh, this particular segment, which is our live look segment. And uh, one of us got out to the park this week, which was you. And one of us did not. One of us watched a lot of video last night and on Wednesday night of last week, uh, watched a ton of video. I watched a lot of Diamondbacks prospects, which I just kind of uh, glazed over earlier. Uh, did not want to really bring them to this. I, I want to go and look at other starts that they pitched uh, uh, from earlier this year to kind of compare and contrast. also looked at some Angels prospects. Uh, I didn't get down to the more notable guys uh, down to the lower minors that kind of concentrated on whatever's left in the upper minors that I had not seen. Uh, it's a very, it's going to be a hard, uh, it, not as hard as the White Sox, but it's going to be a hard, <laughs> uh, hard place to cover this year. And then I landed on the Houston Astros and I'm about halfway through my evaluation of the Astros. Uh, I had already seen uh, Corey Lee already this year. I did, I think I might've brought him to this show yeah. or article. Mm-hmm. I, you get confused after seeing so many guys this year. He's pretty much their number one prospect in fantasy right now. Then I looked at a bunch of other guys, and they have a lot of guys that are in the upper minors right now that are potential contributors. Uh, their strength right now, even though it's a weaker, even though it's a weaker organization, is in the upper minors, and I. Attached to two guys uh, playing for Sugarland, which is their AAA affiliate. The first guy I'm going to cover is a right-handed pitcher. And the wind, I mean, the fan keeps on knocking out my my page for this. <laughs> but I am going to talk about Hunter Brown, a 6'2", 212-pound right-hander uh, for the Astros organization. And this guy to start out with has the stuff to start uh, high three quarters uh, release point uh, upright delivery uses his height well in his delivery. The problem is with him. Well, he has a fastball curveball slider change up. And like I said, this is a starter profile. Uh, the problem with Hunter Brown, who is a, a fifth round pick, I believe uh, from where Rob Gordon teaches at Wayne State uh, outside of Detroit or in Detroit. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, another Rob Gordon uh, reference. I wonder if he taught Hunter Brown. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, uh, fastball, his strike rate on his fastball is 63%. On his other pitches, it's less and less. So this guy's having some trouble throwing strikes. In the start that I saw him in, which was last week, uh, he actually started twice, and I watched both starts. He was primarily in a 92-94 range with his fastball. Actually, one game he was getting a lot of strikes, but uh, was hitting corners, hitting hitting spots, uh, doing what he needed to do, staying up in the zone. He has rising action. Again, 
high three quarters guy. They tend to have that VAA uh, um, in the, you know, uh, above negative five, or I guess below. Yeah, I guess it's above negative five. So between uh, negative uh, five and zero, they tend to have that. So they have rising action on his on on their their pitch. It's a four seam fastball. Uh, the command in that in that second start wasn't as great. The control was there. Uh, but again, over the season since he's been to AAA, it's at 63% of strike rate. Uh, it's a 60 grade pitch. With command, it could be a little better than that. With control, it's a good. If he could get his strike rate up to 67, 68% with that pitch, uh, he'd be a lot better shape to be a starter. Secondary pitches, he throws like a spike uh, curveball. He throws it hard. He throws it uh, average uh, curveballs around 80 miles per hour. Uh, I scouted it 78 to 82. It's uh, uh, has great vertical drop. And from what I understand, it's a newer pitch in his arsenal. Prior to this, he was fastball slider changeup. Uh, and he threw the curveball, I believe, in college and kind of, you know, uh, scrapped it for a while, brought it back. And it's <laughs> by far his best moving pitch. Unfortunately, he cannot throw a strike like it's every other uh curveballs out of the strike zone and sometimes it's meant to be out of the strike zone but when he needs to buy a strike he can't buy a strike so 60 grade potential however it's playing like a 35 40 pitch right now because of the lack of uh control uh slider it's a hard slider two plane break just not as tight as uh the break on the curveball the curveball it just dives down this one uh doesn't get the same swing and miss. It actually has a higher strike rate than any of his pitches. I think I said earlier that all his, all his pitches were less than, than 63%. This is 66%, but does not do a good job of uh, getting swings and misses with it. I, I think the plane, the, the, the break, the two plane break is way too predictable. It's too easy to get bats on. I think this is a solid pitch to keep guys off of. Uh, maybe the curveball, uh, if he can throw it for more strikes, but it, it, it could work better as a cutter, you know, kind of get away from the two plane break and just go with the, the, uh, horizontal break, um, um, mostly. The changeup sits 83, 86, has some arm side run to it, some fade. Again, struggles to throw strikes below 60%. Actually, in one of the starts that I scouted, he was less than 50%. So this is a pitch uh, that has all the potential. Again, another pitch that projects to at least be a 50 grade or better pitch if he could control or command it. So my thinking is, is Hunter Brown's uh, possibly destined for the bullpen uh, where he could probably play up that fastball and that curveball, maybe mix in that changeup, maybe scrap the slider. I just don't see him throwing enough strikes. I've, the delivery is fairly workable, and uh, it, it seems repeatable. I mean, that's one of the hard things on video when you don't get that sideways or, or uh, even that in front of uh, um, delivery um, yeah. look. So, like, that's hard to really kind of gauge. I can see his extension. He does extend well. I feel like he kind of has a rougher delivery. It needs to... There, there is some smoothness that needs to be done. He has a big leg kick. Uh, sometimes that leg kick does not pause enough at the balance point. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and just those type of things have kind of affected him. But overall, 
future major league arm. Uh, and really, truly, I could see a back end of the bullpen um, set up man type thing. I don't know if he has the the closer mentality uh, um, or even the closer stuff. But I, I see at least two plus pitches out of the pen with the potential of a, a third pitch to keep lefties honest with the changeup. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting looking at his uh, you know, line this year. Uh, did 13, 11 starts at, at Double A, um, had a real high strikeout rate, um, but then at Triple A has has done okay, but uh, definitely the strikeout rate has gone down. And yeah, I can see from the walk there too that he does uh, fight himself a little bit. It looks like anyway. Yeah, I, he kind of popped up, the, and one of the reasons why I wanted to just uh, check him out was he popped up at the alternate site last year uh, because in shorter stints, he was throwing high 90s. Right. Uh, and I wanted to see if that maintained, and he is throwing harder compared to uh, previous seasons, uh, like 2019 or any, any time in college. Uh, however, uh, you know, it's coming with a price. It's, it's not as not as effective uh especially yeah. without uh without that control but knowing that he can get back to that if he needed it is something that you know bodes well for him but that's why you might have seen him if you uh are a subscriber or you uh you know just go to a different website uh for some prospect coverage uh that he's a top 100 guy on some list that that's the reason why is uh he popped up he was one guy that that looked a lot better at ats uh, than he did the previous season, and his stuff yeah. had got better. Just like I said, the curveball has been truly given him a plus uh, secondary pitch. And then he also got a chance to check out a hitter on that uh, in that organization. Jeremy Pena is a shortstop for the Astros. In fact, a son of Geronimo Pena, for those of us that remember that. What team around. did he play for? Do you remember? The uh, Astros? I had his rookie card. I think he might have played for the Astros, but he was a Cardinal. He came up as a Cardinal. Ah, he he okay. played around the same time as, uh, like, towards the end of Ozzie Smith's career. I remember him coming up. Uh, uh, I remember, I think he had a really hot start to his career. I, I may be wrong about that. But, uh, you know, I played that one baseball card game where you roll the dice. What is that called? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I played that game, and I remember Pena was like my eighth hitter on that team. So uh, um, I used him a lot because I guess I didn't have many good shortstops because it wasn't the, the time of the shortstop. So anyway, yes, what can you tell us about uh, Geronimo's son, Jeremy? So Jeremy was a third-round pick out of Maine. I think that's what you were going to get to uh, before I interrupted you. Third-round pick for Maine, a high-class defensive player in college, and that, and that was the strength of his his evaluation coming out of uh, college is this is a kid that was going to stick at shortstop, had the versatility to play elsewhere, uh, dynamic defender. From all accounts, nothing has changed on that uh, in that instance. Uh, still a dynamic uh, defender. And that defensive skill, even in the day of all these shifts, could actually propel him to a major league job. The kids come a long way. So this year, he has missed a lot of time. He had left wrist surgery to start the year. So he's been on the injured list for quite a long time. So this check-in was more to check-in to see how he was doing with the bat. Wanted to see if he was limited or anything like that. Well, 
And I didn't see any loft, uh, much loft out of his swing, although he did hit a home run in one of the at-bats that I uh, evaluated. I saw a guy that was getting around, his, uh, uh, was using his whole body uh, to swing, which that was a, um, uh, something coming out of college that he didn't really do. He was, I, I think I read on fan graphs, he was a handsy hitter. He has a, he kind of starts in a closed stance, which you don't normally see these days. And the front leg, uh, he's kind of on his toes when he starts out and hands are, are cocked back slightly at his letters. It's a very kind of unusual looking stance, the stance that we don't normally see and, and kind of a throwback. And I almost want to say that his dad had a very similar stance, but I mean, I've slept. I mean, it's been 30 years since I've seen his dad on the baseball diamond. <laughs> I was a, a 10-year-old kid, I think, when he debuted. So uh, when he gets his swing started, it's a moderate leg lift. He, he gets his hands direct to the trigger. Uh, he does swing off a rigid front uh, leg, even though uh, the trajectory of the swing was more uh, topspin heavy. Uh, I did see him um, get his bat um, around on a ball. Actually, it was like a cutter and took it out the other way. And it was really kind of like by accident, really, that the ball went out. It, it just wasn't, uh, you wouldn't expect it from this type of profile, especially a guy who was pulling most everything uh, in, in its look. Uh, his timing seemed off a bit. He did have a few um, infield hits. He does have a, a I would say, above average uh, run tool. I had times between... Uh, anywhere from 4.2, 4 4.23, 4.28. Uh, sometimes he doesn't get out of the batter's box that quickly. So, uh, like I said, most of his contact was lighter, uh, was, was, uh, softer. And he hit a lot of ground balls in, in this look. Uh, so really what I was looking for was to see, uh, how his wrist was reacting and the bat speed is there. Uh, I believe the, the, the one thing that had been there previously that I didn't really see, I didn't see his, uh, he's known for patience at the plate. He's an on-base percentage guy. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a guy that was, uh, I think, just happy to be swinging the bat. And, and I'll be honest, I honest, this won't be our last time seeing him. I, we, I think some of us saw him in 2019 in the Fall League, and I think we're going to see him in the 2021 version of the Fall League. Yeah. I actually uh, went back and checked out some notes I had from when I saw him in, uh, well, right about two years ago in, in September. I think actually it was a playoff series in Wilmington uh, when he was in high A with uh, Fayetteville at that time. Let off that game. The only note I have uh, really relevant is that uh, he uh, had a had a quick bat that got around on a 94 fastball from Daniel Lynch and, and uh put a double into the uh, left the left field corner. So that's interesting to hear uh, you say, you know, mention his bat speed. And, and I do do wonder, I mean, I think it's a good sign given, you said, uh, given his wrist injury this year, that that has seemed to um, cover, uh, recover well, uh, at least in the, in the limited time he's been back. And my, my history with wrist injuries, uh, uh, the bat speed comes back before like the trajectory comes back. Uh, I, I, I did a lot of Jesse Winker uh, looks after his wrist injuries. Yeah. Similar thing. The, the bat speed was there. He was struggling getting to uh, 
getting to pitches on the outer half, but the bat speed was there. And he finally adjusted. And in the major leagues today, you know, wrist injuries are kind of tricky. And yeah. it's always good to check in on those guys. Uh, Pena has a very high floor, like I said. Uh, this is a, for me, it's a 7A profile for for our purposes, 7A or 7B. So that means average player, that's what the 7 is. And with an A or B, that means 90% or 70% um, probability of getting to that average major league starter, starting shortstop grade. Uh, yeah. The one thing I will say is maybe an on-base percentage league that goes up a bit because, you know, this is a guy that ha- has a history of uh, 370, 380, 400 on-base percentages. This mm-hmm. is a guy that does control the strike zone very well. And he's a prototypical two-hitter in my uh, my eyes. Yeah, very good uh, Very good to know, to hear your thoughts on uh, Pena, as you said, someone that, especially well, both for both Brown and Pena, guys that are uh, in the high minors um, and will certainly be discussed in depth when, uh, when us and as well as our colleagues and uh, competitors all do our off-season lists uh, this year. So good to uh, good to have some first-hand knowledge of, of those two Astros. So you got to see somebody this week that I've uh, been wanting uh, you to see, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, always I, it's always great to, for me to go, hey, Brent, you need to go see this guy. And you're like, I already am going to see him because I'm on top of my organization, Chris. Unlike <laughs> you sometimes. No, he didn't say that. That's um, not true. I, uh, I'm pretty on top of things, to be honest. You got to see Griff McGarry, a right-handed pitcher from the Phillies, who just got drafted in the fifth round out of the University of Virginia. Tell us about him. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, Phillies, uh, the past couple of years especially, have people have noticed that in their drafts, they have taken um, some more kind of high skills guys uh, with certain flaws rather than you know reverting back to some of their more recent drafts uh, where they've taken more uh, vanilla guys let's say with with uh, less tools and a little bit little, little safer but a little less ceiling but McGarry is is a guy that <clears throat> that has been always been a high velocity uh, pitcher um, when he was at Virginia but always you know from the get-go kind of had a constant control problem. Um, his career line at Virginia in four years there is 134 innings pitched and 186 strikeouts, but 131 walks. So basically, you know, basically walking a batter an inning throughout his Virginia career. And although he's known to, you know, to be a high velocity guy, throws, throws really hard. It's just um, that's kind of the, the, the walk problem is what pushed him down to the fifth round now the the last three starts uh in june this year he seemed to have kind of turned it around a little bit um 17 innings pitched 26 strikeouts and nine bases on balls um again scouts like us smart organizations are all uh you know know that that's a small sample size and they weren't gonna you know bump him up like crazy uh just because of 17 innings pitched of course but it did it was enough to intrigue uh, some teams, and and the Phillies, like I said, um, sort of elected him in the 
in the fifth round. And through these two short stops in a ball this summer, that that uh, his improvement in his control has uh, continued. About 20 innings pitched, 39 Ks and nine walks, which is you know very similar to these several starts in June. So anyway, I was interested to see when he got bumped up to high A. He's kind of a medium build guy, six foot or so. Delivery has a kind of a pronounced high leg kick, uh, almost like a almost like a violent leg kick, um, where I could sort of see that it could easily throw off his balance and this and thus the command. But he did pretty well with it in this game. Um, but the main the main thing is his arm strength. Fastball comes out ninety four to ninety five. It was a little higher early the early innings. Uh, of this outing last week, and then it uh, dropped down to 93, 94 later on. But it was one of these fastballs with a really good uh, shape. He has a four-seamer with a lot of ride and carry, has an ability to miss bats up in the zone. It's definitely, as we say, a fastball with with life to it, easily easily getting uh, by these guys. And then he also has a two-seamer that he kept down some, um, which and he wasn't able to control uh, as well, and they, they they were taking a lot of them, uh, and missed, he was missing low with that pitch. So I actually have some data on him, and while I can't, of course, announce exact numbers because uh, that would be compromising my sources, I can say that uh, the statistics on that fastball, specifically the spin rate, spin rate's incredible. It's over 2,600. And his BAA, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier about negative five being kind of the axis, axis and anything uh, above essentially minus five to zero uh, is going to be uh, creating rise. And he's, he's, he's doing just that, uh, looking at this, this stuff and also looking at the tilt as well. It looks like on, statistically, uh, Average fastball, 20, uh, 96, and of course there were some shorter outings since he's become a major leaguer or a minor leaguer. This looks like an elite fastball. And from what you're saying here, you know, there's – and I'm talking about the four-seamer, of course. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, from what you're saying, it, it looks like it's potentially at least a plus pitch, if not a double-plus pitch. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, high A hitters, of course, you know, taking that into account, but it's still one of these that got, you know, I, I should have, I didn't calculate it specifically, but he got a lot of swing, uh, and misses on, on that four seamer, which, which says that, you know, how, just how effective it was. And, and that's the kind of, you know, as I, as I look back, especially on this year and some other pitchers we've seen, uh, pitchers that I've seen, uh, even with fastballs that were thrown harder, you know, a lot of them got hit uh, hard or, uh, you know, there was solid contact against. And that wasn't the case uh, here. There was uh, tons of, like I said, uh, swing and miss, which I think is, you know, makes it makes it stand out for um, pitch quality. It's one of the better pitch qualities that I've seen this year. He's just not a fastball pitcher. He also throws some breaking pitches as well, which also have very high spin rates. One's yeah. a curveball, one's a slider. Would you like to talk about it? Yeah, sure. I uh, yeah, it looked like there was two breaking balls that he was throwing uh, that evening. There was a 77 to kind of 81 curveball that, in this outing anyway, was the better of the two. 
really high spin, uh, nasty late break. Um, he did hang a couple, um, and one of them especially got hit pretty hard. But you could see, in general, the potential there for, for that being a plus pitch. His slider was 83-84, and he didn't throw it as much. I don't think he had quite the feel for it in in this outing. Um, you know, rereading some of his pre-draft scouting reports, uh, there was a lot of love for the slider. On this, the, what I saw that evening, it was more of a flatter pitch. He started out using it more and then became became evident that the curveball was more effective for him uh, that night again, which was a little slower and ended up using the curve a, a bit more than, or a good bit more than the slider. And then this, and then the uh, fourth pitch is, is a changeup. Um, you going back and look at it, I was curious that uh, he only had, there was only two left-handed bats uh, in the lineup against him that night. And he basically only threw two changeups. It was both the second time, that he faced these left-handed batters. One got hit for a, you know, looked about normal, got hit for a fly ball out, and then one really just disappeared. Again, running away from the left-hander with really good fade and drop and uh, and got a swing and miss and finished off uh, one of his strikeouts with that changeup. I think it's really, you know, really significant that uh, at this stage anyway, having that changeup to keep, lefties honest and then having two you know different shaped breaking balls to kind of uh to use against righties especially um along with this uh really uh exciting fastball you know is is something to uh of note uh as we watch him kind of go through high a here and eventually uh move up the ladder but the the line score certainly was uh, impressive. He finished, uh, you know, four and two thirds innings pitched. I gave up five hits, uh, three earned runs, all of which were in that final inning. He walked two um, and struck out eight through that uh, four and two thirds. And again, the two walks were in that first inning, uh, both of them in that first inning where he faced, I think, uh, six batters um, and was throwing just fastballs. I don't think there was any. Uh, breaking stuff that he threw, maybe one or two of the curveballs uh, within that thing, but it was mainly fastballs. And he did have a little trouble, uh, obviously, kind of commanding the fastball um, in that first inning, but then really settled down, had several uh, one, two, three innings, struck out the side once, and like I said, finished with eight, eight strikeouts. Really exciting arm to think about uh, going forward. If that changeup certainly is what we saw against lefties and having those two breaking pitches against the righties on top of uh, this good fastball. I think there's uh, really some interesting potential uh, for the Phillies coming out of this fifth round pick. I, I like this draft a lot for the Phillies. I like it more than I like the, like some other drafts that they've had. So this is, uh, this is something to file away as the, you know, potential dude that, you might be first on if you uh, were listening to this um, podcast. Anyway, let's get to our upcoming schedule. That's the end of our live look segment. So I will be doing some work this week after not doing a lot of work for, uh, well, doing a lot of indoor work, not outdoor work. I've got two big series 
uh, coming up. I'll be at uh, Hickory and Rose. Uh, and, and there it's uh, uh, Rangers prospects Ezekiel Duran and Trevor Hover, who were just acquired in the Yankees deal and the Gallo deal, uh, to be more specific. And I'll get one more look at Michael Harris, who spent his entire season at Rome this year in high A, the, the Braves prospect that had some helium earlier this year and has calmed down a bit, but is still doing well, I believe. Uh, and then Vaughn Grisham, who... Grissom, who was a, you know, a higher floor guy out of uh, the prep ranks that has all of a sudden showed some power this last week or two. So a guy that's kind of popped up on people's radars. So we'll go check him out. And then I'll head and see more Braves prospects. I, uh, thankfully, this is our uh, second to last uh, regular season episode. Or I'll have a, a gag order on Braves prospects after this week. <laughs> um but I'm going to be seeing Mississippi versus Chattanooga. Uh, there's nothing really with the Reds prospects in double A. Everybody's in high A or low A. Uh, I get 2,021 looks at Shay Langoliers and Braden Schumacher, who were both first round picks in the 2019 draft and subscribers who are familiar. I covered both of them while they were with uh, the low A Rome Braves at the time, which is now a high A affiliate. And I'm looking forward to see Spencer Strider, a pitcher. Uh, he's pretty much one of the only main pitchers that I have not covered in the Braves organization. So uh, he's slated to go on Friday. So I look forward to seeing him on Friday night. What's on tap for you, Brent? I've got uh, Greenville, uh, Boston's high A club, coming into Aberdeen this week. And I think I'm going to I'm going to attempt to get down there and uh Check out uh, that club. Hopefully, there'll be um, a promotion or two. Uh, but certainly, Greenville does have uh, first rounder Nick York uh, on their squad, and I'm interested to uh, check out that middle infielder. Uh, and of course, uh, having the Orioles as part of my uh, minor league baseball analyst coverage, I'll do I'll do some finishing up on the, the couple of Orioles of note down on that Aberdeen squad. So, uh, yes, we're down to the last couple of weeks. The nitty gritty. Um, the nitty gritty. I'm excited uh, for you to see Harris again because I know you were uh, an early adopter there that turned us on earlier this year. I'll be interested to see what you have there. And uh, this Spencer Strider I've heard lots about, too, uh, at various contexts. So I uh, hope, uh, hope you get a chance to check him out also. I hope so, too. I um, am looking forward to it actually. Um, and you know, I hope you get a look maybe at more than just York. Hopefully, uh, we get one or two call ups from that low A team that's doing pretty well for them, uh, for the Red Sox, uh, in Salem. So hopefully yeah. you get a look at them. Well, I have to, uh, keep our fingers crossed for that. And, uh, if so, we'll be back. Well, we'll be back either way, uh, with reports next week. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of The Eyes Have It. Uh, you can contact us at uh, via email at theeyeshaveit at baseballhq.com. We'd love to hear listener questions, uh, any feedback here as we're kind of finishing our first season. You can also reach out via Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing, and you can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for listening uh, and subscribing to us uh, on your podcast uh, platform of choice and if they allow you to rate and review us please take a quick minute to do that it uh, really helps us out chris 
number 18's in the books. Looking forward to number 19 next week. Have a good week. You as well. Everybody out there, have a good week. Happy prospecting. <laughs>